I'm Ryan Pack. And I am Nicole Barlow. And this is Soundtrack Your Life. Uh, today we are joined by Lacey and Josh Vetter from the Wind Cinephiles Attack podcast, which drops new episodes every Monday. Uh, for people who don't know about this great podcast, which I've been a guest on, um, why don't you guys tell uh, our listeners about Wind Cinephiles Attack? Uh, after you, Josh. All right. Uh, <laughs> Wind Cinephiles Attack. Uh... Uh, our tagline is for movie fans test the limits of their friendship uh it usually uh, begins with one of us bringing in a movie we are very fond of whether uh, from our childhood or today uh, and then at least one or three other uh, co-hosts having serious issues with said podcasts and the host having to defend their love for the movie and it quickly devolves <laughs> almost every episode um but it's all out of love so if you are one of your if you're the kind of person who loves to debate movies with your friends, if you get a little heated about it, uh, you'll feel right at home with our podcast. Do you have anything to add, Lacey? All I'll add to what Josh said is that we have been friends for so long and we've known each other for so long. Um, and our friendship is so true that we can really say anything to the other people and still be friends at the end of the podcast. Um, so it makes for a really interesting time four different people with four very different tastes in movies and it's it's a good time i really want to fight with you guys today and have yeah. some context <laughs> but i feel like we all love the film too much it's that's why i'm so excited to be here today because this movie has pretty much been banned from our podcast <laughs> so i can't wait to talk about it today is that because it's too universally beloved is that banned? No. Uh, to some no. of us. It's hated? Who hates Uh-oh. It? <laughs> not, not hated. There's, there's a couple movies that we all have that are, like, so special to us that we don't even want to cross that bridge. And this one is Lacey's. Yeah. Oh, it's untouchable. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Is it Mella? No, of course it's not. Ryan, who's my vendetta? Who's my vendetta <laughs> on my podcast? Sean. Answer Sean. <laughs> my absolute best friend, and we can't agree on a single movie take ever. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, for our Valentine's Day episode, we are talking about the 2004 Michelle Gondry film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yay! Lacey, why is this such a beloved movie for you? Oh my gosh, I genuinely don't have the words for why it is. Um, I remember seeing this movie back in 2004. I idolized Kate Winslet, and I think this was the first time I saw Jim Carrey doing something that wasn't stretchy-faced comedic Jim Carrey, and that was really exciting to me. It It showed me another level that actors could go to in their career which was really exciting and there's just something about this story that is so it just touches me so deeply the concept of your body and your heart know things that your mind does not every time i watch this movie i have probably seen it over 20 times um, and every time I watch it, I notice one little detail more. I notice one little thing more that I didn't know or notice the time before. 
it's definitely a movie that rewards rewatching. It's so beautifully shot. And oh my God, the soundtrack, <laughs> the music. I don't know that I've ever seen a movie that is so perfectly attuned to the music to help like tell the story. Um, yeah. It's so melancholic and sad and sweet. Like it really um, hits all of the beats along with the characters in the movie. I, I just, I love it. I can't tell that you love it, actually. <laughs> I think we need to a redo. I think if anyone out there remains unconvinced that this is a movie you need to be watching, then you just need to listen to that. Oh. On a because that is such a that is such a beautiful encapsulation of why this movie is so special. It really is special. I don't think there's anything else quite like it. Um, even in the universe of other Michel Gondry films, even in the universe of other similar films from Jim Carrey. Um, this is probably the only Jim Carrey film I can fully stomach. <laughs> it, I don't know if that's an unpopular popular opinion, Whoa. but because he's such a normal, <laughs> like he's just such a normal mm -hmm. guy in, in this film. Um, you do not feel or feel overshadowed by his Jim Carreyness. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, and when he does go there, you know, he has a few scenes where he goes there where he's, you know, his toddler self and his child self, it's still so rooted in this world that it doesn't feel Jim Carrey sticky to me. It feels very genuine. Yeah, he feels like a, a, a genuine boyfriend um, with, you know, sort of a quirky side and you do not feel that any of it is, as you said, like a shtick or an act. It's so beautifully executed. This is one of those yeah. movies, kind of what Lacey said, where every time I watch it, I come away with a new opinion. This most recent watch show we did for this, I, I came away thinking, don't be mad, Lacey. Okay. I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of our podcast uh -oh. into today's episode. Uh -oh. um, I, I came away thinking, both of these people kind of suck. <laughs> no, that's true. that's true. I think that's I think true. true. I think you're meant to believe that a little yeah. bit. They're human. They're flawed. I think that's, yeah. again, what makes it like really kind of cool and special is they're not willing to. It, it's not like a, a perfect portrait of a perfect couple and then you feel heartbreak because they can't be together. You feel, I think, genuine belief in, on both sides that maybe this relationship wasn't meant to be because they're so they're so flawed. And then I think maybe they should be together and they deserve each other because they're both right. miserable. Oh, my God. Right. And so you've got to okay. clean, you know, that you... <laughs> Calm down. That was just this watch through. That was just this Calm watch through. Down. Calm down. <laughs> it is sort of the perfect breakup movie too, though. It's it like is. it's yeah. it is romantic. Um, I stand with Lacey in thinking that this is actually a really romantic film in most aspects, but it also is kind of a great breakup film if you're going through something. If you're going through yeah, some stuff. It 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 it's romantic in that there is romance but i think and i don't mean this in a bad way but it like it romanticizes like breakups almost and and i think mm. it, in a good way i think it 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 does it very well it's like everything is romantic in this you know meeting someone for the first time is romantic breaking up is romantic you know going to going to a date on a beach is romantic everything is romantic in this movie and i think that's because everything is romantic to Joel and Clementine they're romantics at heart. 
Yeah, I could agree with that. Yeah, but they're also so different where you can understand why it may not work out between them. But that's like <laughs> that's what I love about it. I I love that we get that moment at the end with them hearing what the other person said about the other on the recordings, on the tapes. Um, and like that to me is the biggest romance of it all. And maybe this makes me really toxic. I don't know. <laughs> but like, that's what I find is so like, that's what touches me so deeply. I think is these people were at the end of their relationship saying the most hurtful, awful things that they could about their partner and they're both hearing that and having that revealed and that final scene in the hallway of but you will you will get annoyed with me you will get tired of me you're gonna get tired of my shit okay like I like that still that just gives me chills of like I know that this might not work out but I love you and I want to try again like that is so <laughs> that is romantic. so romantic to me. Yeah, I, and I think it's a realistic thing like if you were to tell someone that just, you know, got in a relationship and their head over heels the other person like this is a doomed relationship and I can tell you exactly why. Mm -hmm. They're still going to be like, "Well, I don't care. I'm going to we're going to try to make it work." Yeah. You don't heart know what you're talking about. Heart yes. Yeah. Yes. That's not toxic. That's just a really beautiful sentiment. Thank yeah. you. Are you listening, Rochelle? <laughs> you better be. Uh, so let's talk about this soundtrack. So it's a mix of score and songs. So uh, most of them are previously written not for this movie. At least the songs are. Uh, the score is by John Bryan, who is like my favorite composer slash producer of all time. And, um, yeah, the score is beautiful. And I remember the first time I watched it, the focus features title card comes up on the screen and then the strings start before the movie. Um, and like, I, I remember like the hairs on my like neck, like standing up and I was like, I'm, I'm like, it, it's preparing me for like this experience. There is something so transportive about the way John Bryan crafts music for film. It is so emotionally weighted. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the score to this film is just like you said, it's like a map of the movie and everything scored is a perfect fit to the scene that it attaches to. I think that's also maybe a product of how, how detailed um, Michel Gondry is in his filmmaking. It's just a really great pairing it's one of those pairings that doesn't come along very often. It does make the hairs on your neck stand up. It's beautiful. Yeah, there's I, I when we rewatched it, I kind of tried to focus in because I'm not I'm one, I'm a viewer where the score kind of happens to me subconsciously. Like I have to, I've, I've I've never been one to really take note of that unless I'm making a conscious effort, and I did this time around. And the first thing that stood out, obviously, the opening because it's the first thing you hear and it's beautiful, but then that first scene on on the train when they're first meeting each other it's very i didn't even realize there was a score because lacy pointed something out while we were watching it's very like woodwind heavy and almost kind of like cartoony like looney tunesy mm -hmm. and i was like this is I, i've never noticed this before and lacy pointed out that the score only happens when they speak 
So like those awkward moments of tension between the two of them when they're first meeting each other on the train is showcased in the score where it's just silent. And then when they speak, it's like, it's like very like fun and loopy kind of goofy, silly like they are. And, but it only happens when they're speaking. So if you're not kind of holding an ear out for it, it just kind of happens. And it's just this undertone of their first meeting. And I thought it was brilliant. Because it does, it suits yeah. that, like, that awkward bumbling, you know, when you're first meeting somebody you're attracted to and stumbling over your words and saying the wrong thing and invading their privacy and their personal space. It, It's so, that's, like, one of the lightest parts of the movie, I think. It's their meet cute and it is is as effective as it is because of that music technique that you're so right that's so true and it's it's kind of like um it is kind of bumbling and silly and childish but so is falling in love with someone mm-hmm. you know it is a little bit like embarrassing um it's also like it's not it's not john williams right it's meant to be subtle um yeah. it's meant to carry the film and it's meant to be kind of like this ambient you know background thing um but that's what's so great about it is that it's not easy to ride that line between subtle and something that actually like goes something along and it's really cool that that they were able to pull that off um i'm a big michelle gondry fan i'm like a creepy michelle gondry stalker (laughs) i actually i don't think we've ever covered him on this podcast before so this hasn't come Mm -hmm. up but i actually have a drawing uh, of my husband that i commissioned michelle gondry to do oh my gosh when he was it's like my favorite artifact in my whole house um at some point uh gondry was offering people like if you send me whatever it was it was like a very cheap amount of money it was like 60 bucks send me 60 bucks and then i'm gonna five thousand portraits and so (laughs) for our first anniversary which is paper anniversary i sent him 60 bucks and he sent me back the most incredible watercolor of my husband at um my brother-in-law's wedding like smoking a cigar with like you know all of his like sort of ginger freckles it it's great it's the the most amazing thing like he he like actually put effort into it too it's colored and everything so um i'm gonna um, need to see this immediately after recording (laughs) i have to i I will um, send it to the podcast as supplementary materials uh also he did a book compilation of these portraits and it actually has like a full page in the book oh my gosh I'm like creepily into Michelle Gondry. I think he's wonderful. I've been a fan of his since his music video days. Um, I definitely wore out that compilation in college. <laughs> so, I have those DVDs. Yeah, the DVDs, like the DVD set of like him and Mark Romanek and stuff. Um, so he's fantastic, and I, I love him. And I think that again, this is such a nice. It's such a nice partnership between him and and John Bryan and um, and Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exactly. Great trifecta <laughs> happening. Right. A very artsy <laughs> trifecta. Like these three people are masters of their their style in their craft. And the three of them yeah. coming together made uh, such a great film. Such a great film. And it to do what they did with the score and like dropping it out and kind of making it the background when it needed to be for the story also takes a lot of confidence it takes a lot of confidence in the script in the score itself and in the filmmaking and i think it i think they land that plane perfectly Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think John Bryan's juggling a lot of different stuff. Because the movie is not like a straight romance, right? Like there's sci-fi elements. You know, they're jumping in time. They're jumping into the, the mind. So there's like little elements of like psychedelia in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of horror in it as well. Mm-hmm. And so the score actually juggles all of these things. Yeah. True. Has a big responsibility to carry all these like very weird, surrealistic art kid elements. Yeah, it has to find the tone of all of those different genres while while still connecting them and having yeah. some sort of connective tissue. And I mean, it, it it to me, it becomes a style in itself, like it, instead of, you know, well, you're going to go from a, a drama score to a romance score to a sci fi score. Instead, it, it kind of the whole the score as a whole becomes its own eternal sunshine genre Mm -hmm. of score it's also pretty distinctive you know a john bryan score when you hear it because the elements are are always there yeah it's really impressive (laughs) it's really impressive i i just watched through ryan before we came on you said just really pay attention to the score in the movie and so like that was when you've seen a movie this many times you can (laughs) you can just pinpoint one thing that you're gonna you're going to watch and concentrate on and music was treated almost like its own character in the film it was it, i i hate to say the heartbeat of it because there's so many elements but like i don't hate to say the heartbeat but like i wish i had better words but it is it's like the heartbeat of the movie like the the soul of the relationship is the music like and that's a hefty thing to carry um and it does it seamlessly yeah this conversation about it also makes me realize that you know every like relationship between two people is kind of its own world unto itself Mm -hmm. that nobody else is is inside and I feel like it does a really good job of like world building their relationship. Yes, like the, it's almost like it belongs to them. It's the score for their relationship and for their romance, and and it almost feels a little bit like private. So there's something very cool about about that and how that's how that's played. I have a question for the team that I could not yeah. figure out. Why is Mr. Blue Sky on this soundtrack? Did it the only trailer. appear in the trailer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had the same well, I question. I was looking at the list and I was like, I paid such good attention to the music this time around. And I don't think yeah. I ever heard like even a little bit of it. Yeah. Is there some kind of like contractual thing where like 50% of Jim Carrey movies have to utilize Mr. Blue Sky <laughs> by ELO? I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't hear it. And I was like, maybe it was subtle and I just missed it. And I don't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, like, is it a record in the background? Like, what is it? It's nothing, right? No. Like, it's not there. No. There, there's three songs on the soundtrack that are not in the movie. Mr. Blue Sky, um, It's the Sun by the Polyphonic Spree. And Wonder by the Willows. So the Polyphonic Spree and the Willows have a different song in the movie. Um, but there's a second song on the soundtrack that isn't in the movie for whatever reason. Interesting. 
Maybe maybe we forgot. Maybe we had that little bit. Whoa. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Was this cover? I didn't, for one, I didn't realize everybody's got to learn sometime. I didn't realize that was a cover by Beck. Was this made for the movie? Yeah, that cover was made for the movie. Um, the oh. original was actually like kind of upbeat. That so Beck was in his sea change era. <laughs> is that is that accurate to say? Yeah, this is 2004. What, Sea Change was 2002, I think? I feel like he was maybe sad back for a couple of years. (laughs) He was the tail end of sad back. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the final, that's, that's the final breath of sad back. Yeah, that was it. He was like, after this, I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy again. I'm going to start dancing with the flaming lips. Yeah, exactly. I think it works perfectly. I didn't, I would have never guessed that it's a cover because I think the tone of the song i think beck's performance i think and obviously i heard it first in the movie so obviously the tone of the movie just enforces it but i it's a i think it's a great song i'm i should seek out the original yeah well i was gonna say other than it other than it's two like fairly megastar leads it's not a very commercial film it's no. kind of like an art house you know like an art house like weirdo film and we talk about this sometimes on the pod, but I, I think maybe these songs were added to make the soundtrack a little more appealing on a mm. commercial level. It's 2004. Mm-hmm. You got to buy it on like physical media and buy it blind. Maybe you don't always... want to listen to just John Bryan. So this is like a little extra patty. <laughs> Radio Shack <laughs> has to put the unit. sticker of like so, featuring Beck. Like they had. Like... Yeah, this is exactly what I picture is the sticker. Well, you, need, you need your end credit song, right? For sure. So you yeah. needed for sure. Beck, something for that. Um, I think because the Polyphonic Spree and the Willows both have other songs featured in the movie, there's, maybe it was like some sort of deal like, hey, can you throw us a bone and put a second song on there? So if people like maybe. the first one, Right. They've got another one. <laughs> um, soundtrack supervisor, Kathy Nelson, who we've talked about on this podcast. She is one of the many people who helped Tarantino on Pulp Fiction. She did the High oh, Fidelity wow. soundtrack, so she she knows her way around a soundtrack. I wanted to talk about the Polyphonic Spree for a second because um, they use Light and Day like in the most like subtle way for a very not subtle song. Like this song was everywhere in 2004, mm-hmm. and I think like Joel's just like listening to it in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Just like. <laughs> and I remember like they were on a Scrubs episode singing this song, <laughs> and it was like in a Volkswagen commercial. Like this song was everywhere, and uh, I was listening. You know, I I just got the vinyl like this week, so I was like listening to it uh, with my family, and like my daughter has never heard the polyphonic spree but like 30 seconds in a light and day and like she's like doing interpretive dance yeah. and i was like oh this is why that song is so effective like that's kind of what it makes you do like you just start dancing and you know they were like the perfect festival van festival band in 2004 oh yeah that's like they're they're like when for their genre for the festival band kind of genre they're just like perfect perfect band for the perfect time for the perfect genre it's like when fallout boy dropped in early 2000s for punk it's like they just hit the right they hit the target at the exact right time yeah it's they're one of those bands where 
at least people our age, maybe not, you know, like your daughter's age, but people our age would be like, have you heard of the polyphonic spree? And I'd say a good chunk of people would play, just say no. But once you play them a song or two, they'll be like, oh, oh, oh I know, yeah, I've, I know I've heard these bands. Yeah. They're just kind of, they just kind of permeated pop culture for a few years. Yeah, absolutely. I think they kind of like catalyzed around like a sound that was really popular and did it well and did it in a way that was like glossy enough where it could be utilized mm-hmm. for things like that Volkswagen commercial or it could feel like a natural element in freaking scrubs, right. <laughs> which I do not remember, but now I really want to find. It's in one of the earlier seasons. One of my favorite, like this is a tangent a little bit. One of my favorite early 2000s things is this deal in TV where you would just have like an indie band like show up at the party. Yeah. Or like <laughs> right. show up like randomly like in the show. And then, yeah. Like the, like the shins on Gilmore Girls. Like the shins on Gilmore Girls. Like we're at spring break in Florida. You know who's playing shins? The shins are playing at spring break. Which makes we've, no goddamn sense. We found that too in our in our in our podcast of like we've started to hit some of our like childhood favorites in like early two thousands, even late nineties, there was a huge trend of just having a music video in the middle of a movie. Like whatever band was most prominent on the soundtrack, the main characters would go to a, an underground concert and the full song would play. It would just be a full music video. <laughs> yeah. It was a thing, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like the Boston showing up in Clueless. Yeah, like <laughs> you know, yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> yes. Sugar Ray being in the Scooby Doo movie. Yes, incredible. <laughs> Ryan's like, don't talk about Sugar Ray. On this, <laughs> this is a, an elite. No, or we're gonna, or the Patreon's gonna make us go watch them. <laughs> Scooby Doo movie. I'm down. We like to do high and low art here. Yeah. Life is about balance. Absolutely, Ryan. Totally. come on. No, we no, we've already <laughs> talked about Sugar Ray on this podcast with, with Scott and Toronto. because apparently in Father's Day, the uh, the son that they're both looking after is following Sugar Ray on tour. <laughs> no notes, dude. That's perfect. And I think this was before Fly. Before that's, they got popular. That's even wilder then, actually. Yeah. There are some bands, too, that, like, especially in their era, they really loved a soundtrack or, like, a mo- I think they were just saying yes to everything. Like, whatever management was going on behind the scenes, they were like, yeah, yeah, that, no, that sounds like a really, really good idea to reach my audience. Um, I mean, Beck is this way, too. Like, I have this running thing, like, here in the L.A. area where I live is you can, you'll go to a concert and then Beck will just, like, be there. Like Beck goes to the opening of an envelope. That's so. He's cool. on like every soundtrack somehow. Like he's just always like, oh, and the opening band tonight is Beck. Oh, guess who's playing the conference? It's Beck. That's why. I mean, that, like I Beck's mean, not very discriminating, is what I'm <laughs> which like is great too to interest because you, yeah, because you never know who might like from a marketing standpoint too. It, if 25% of the people there uh, never listened to you before, but they like you now, then that's, you know, that's just a numbers game, Beck. Good job. Well, he's an industry kid. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. We like, don't like to talk about his how dad, Beck is. Yeah, his dad scored Brokeback Mountain. Oh, jeez. Yeah. He's a Nepo he's... baby, people. Oh, <gasps> Nepo baby. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And I think his dad is one of the uh, Philharmonic composers. Wow. Or conductors. Jeez. So he's not just some guy who's like, oh, I've got like this uh, 
this song about like living on my friend's couch right <laughs> right that's what's so funny about it is like you think about those super lo-fi aesthetics of yeah like, his slacker either. upbringing yeah it's great stuff well, like like I, I went to his song reader concert and uh jonathan gold uh the food critic rest in peace he came out to talk about beck and he said when beck first came out his friend was all into it and he was like jonathan have you like listened to the new beck album and he's like no he's like i heard that song it's all right and his friend told him it's because you need to like not have a car to understand the music of beck like you need (laughs) that's very good that's really good Beck is best enjoyed in a studio apartment rented out by six people at once. Yeah. With a record player instead of a TV. It's like, oh, you, you're not living paycheck to paycheck? That's why you don't That's understand you don't that. It. <laughs> it says a lot more That's about really you than it does about me. <laughs> I'm not sad that we went down this Beck tangent. No. Right I mean, I think it was... We had to go down a Beck tangent. And really, though, back to the movie, that needle drop of it's kind of the only like well-defined, except for the beginning, it's kind of the only well-defined needle drop song in the movie where like it's not subtle when Beck's song starts playing. And I think it I think it hits like a like a sledgehammer. I think it's a really strong moment and it kind of it works too you can kind of tell that it's the end of the movie the song comes and it's sort of a a a bow on this whole thing of like well we we as a movie tried they're gonna stay together and we're gonna send them off with this song like good luck (laughs) it it, i think it works really really well yeah and i would i I, i'm pretty sure like beck and michelle gondry have like a pre-existing relationship like Mm -hmm. prior to 2004 because he i want to say did few two or three different music videos for him mm-hmm. yeah, i think he did dead weight right he did mm-hmm. dead weight um i think cell phones dead came after but there's definitely like a there's a tie there so i can see mm-hmm. why maybe he gave him a little like pump up and priority in yeah. the movie yeah so have you guys uh, seen john bryan live no, no but what a know. dream i didn't even know he did live stuff oh um I guess that'll segue into the next part. So, uh, you know, so I really got into John Bryan, I think, starting with Punch Drunk Love. Mm-hmm. And that score will hit you like a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found out that um, he has a residency at, at the time, it was a, it was like a restaurant cafe or a cafe called Largo. Um, so he would play, I think every friday or like one or one friday a month i think it's one friday a month now and so um after this film um he started working with kanye west on late registration which is the album with like gold digger and um like diamonds and sierra leone so i went to go see john bryan and uh he basically just doesn't have a set list and we'll just like start noodling around and he has a bunch of samplers on stage and he'll just build songs from the ground up and uh, he'll play some of his soundtrack stuff. Like he just kind of takes requests. And um, so around this time he was working with Kanye. So he brought Kanye out in like a restaurant for like 150 people. Uh, 
That's nuts. And it was it was crazy. Um, and I've seen John Bryan a bunch of times since. But um, after this movie, like it kind of brought John Bryan out from being kind of this niche kind of producer composer to mm-hmm. um, you know working with everyone. So he he did late registration, which won a bunch of awards, and then. He worked with Spoon on like the underdog, produced that for them. And the last thing I know that he did um, as a producer is he did um, the last two Mac Miller albums, Swimming in Circles. Wow. Yeah, he is a really accomplished music producer. Um, he also, yeah. if you're a Fiona Apple fan, I'm probably the only one. No, no. I, I got you, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I, lo- I love meeting a fellow Fiona fan. He also produced a version of Extraordinary Machine, the album Extraordinary Machine, um, that, d- that right. didn't get released, but is sort of like the John Bryan cut of that album that you can you can find was kind of like steeped in some controversy about what the record label wanted to create. Um, and some of his kind of like really storied performances at Largo, where Ryan was, have been with her. So they have a very close relationship too. I think he also did when the pawn hits. Yeah, I think he did. I think you're right. So he's incredible. I knew he had a good resume. I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through his Wikipedia right quick right now. And holy moly. Um, I didn't realize in February of 2018, Brian opened for John Mulaney. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was at that show. What? what? Shut up. Cause... We were not. Yeah, the Orpheum. Yeah, for this his... is where I start to get mad that Ryan does more things than I do <laughs> somehow. But also, Lacey, did you know he did the soundtrack for Paranorman? Oh, that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. That mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. And Lady Bird. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm a I'm a bigger John Bryan fan than I realize. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, it's kind of what we were talking about at the beginning. A lot of his stuff is so subtle and, and, and not that, you know, this is not a dig at John Williams. It's just a different style. It's a different it's a different style for a movie and it's a different style as a as a composer. But John Williams scores are like very forward and yeah. Someone like John Bryan's is like I'm seeing now something you don't even realize that is happening until after the fact. Oh yeah, so I I know that people don't want to talk about Kanye anymore, but um on late registration on the song Diamonds, Michelle Gondry is playing the drums. What? What? I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a fun fact. That's cool. <laughs> so, I think he said that he was super into the eternal sunshine thing i don't also don't want to talk about kanye at least in 2023 2022 kanye but that era of kanye as produced by john bryan has made some phenomenal songs so it makes sense <laughs> yeah can't discount the music yeah yeah we, we yeah. reject current Kanye. yes <laughs> correct yeah <laughs> So we'll just talk about the Mac Miller stuff that he did instead. Yeah, there you which go. Which is also phenomenal. Oh, and Frank Ocean. Holy, like, what? Oh, yeah, he did some strings for Frank Ocean. I think on uh, the Endless Blonde era Frank Ocean, he got both Johnny Greenwood and John Bryan to do strings for him, which I think is insane. And he did orchestral arrangements for uh, Beyonce on Lemonade. Sorry, I could just, we could just cover his entire Wikipedia page at this point. <laughs> yeah, there's there's too much to go through. It's, he's nuts. that 
he's that accomplished and and he's that i don't want to say sneaky about it but it's almost as if like he's somebody making an impact in all the things that you love and you don't even really know that it's Mm -hmm. happening and you just his thumbprints are on it um he also produced all of the amy mann songs on magnolia yeah wow and he scored magnolia wild yeah i think that I think that is so telling, though, in his talent is universal. His music speaks universally. And I think that's a really important element in this movie and in this story is that maybe you walk away like Josh walked away this time thinking Joel and Clementine were horrible people, but you're still attached to them at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And I think the music is the through line for that and that's just that's all john bryan yeah and and like you said too that he's someone who can go from from kanye to paranorman to eternal sunshine to john mulaney to (laughs) to frank ocean like the range is kind of (laughs) nuts so there is an alternate they didn't shoot it but there was an alternate ending to the movie where instead of this hallway conversation it like fast forwards like 30 years and they're still like getting their minds wiped and getting back together and getting their minds wiped which is a much sadder depressing so sad and like i'm sure i'm sure it can be played and there can be a message there like like you kind of mentioned at the top lacy about the heart and the body will want what it wants no matter what the mind thinks but at some point that gets really bleak (laughs) well especially because the procedure itself is essentially brain damage so you have to think of like (laughs) the trauma they're putting upon their brains after 30 years of erasing memories that in and of itself is sci-fi depressing scary yeah that's like too kubrickian yeah for uh yeah yeah that's very yeah that's exactly what yeah that is. kind of infinite loop of mind wiping is a that's a very depressing ending and some like very depressing commentary yeah. on a relationship yeah, so, yeah that too <laughs> um nice that they chose to end on a, a note of um i don't know like i don't want to say uncertainty but like a nice note of like you think you probably know like where this is headed it's a little more sentimental yeah, yeah. it's like it's like sentimental ambiguity like yeah like yes it's kind of ambiguous but we kind of know but it's also sweet that they're given another shot but also like as a as an observer you're kind of like well oh well <laughs> and and it's so perfectly that end that we get is so perfectly pointed by everybody's got to learn sometimes like that's the song that we're left with as we're watching them run in the snow and then disappear and then run in the snow and disappear. Like now that, you know, you know that that was a possible ending. I feel like that's a a nicer, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's a nicer way of telling that story, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, With the lyrics of, everybody's got to learn sometime you think okay this is the sometime this is this is the time they're gonna learn okay yes we can make it work or no we can't but how many times 
has that song played? How many times are they going to listen to that song? Are they going to listen to it for 30 exactly. years? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. I like that it lets the viewer draw your own conclusions about the future of their of their love. And I'll say this about the movie, too, to kind of analyze the movie a little more. Uh, to me, I don't think I would have really disliked that alternate ending because to me, I don't see Lacuna, right? That's the name of the... Mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. I don't see Lacuna, like surviving uh, uh Kristen Dunst's sort of sabotage to me Oof. that's a like a a company ending move like right. I think the backlash the public backlash of that would have shuttered it so I think I would have had some issues with with that alternate ending because to me the ending sort of reads with what Kristen Dunst's character does and then meeting one last time to me i kind of see this this is kind of their last shot they're not going to be able to reset after this because mm. the company's going to go under they had this they both got their minds wiped at like almost the exact same time so this is their last shot yeah that's a that's a pretty fair way to interpret things i mean yeah. i feel like the movie gets dark enough when she finds out oh my god that she's been getting her mind oh. wiped there's a there's so much of that storyline that was cut out too mm-hmm. that um we don't need to get into but if you are a fan of this movie and you don't know about mary's whole backstory you should go look it up because it makes those few small scenes that she has when she finds out that her mind's been wiped it makes it so much more heartbreaking and just life shattering you really understand why she does what she does with all the files and that that scene with howard's wife um uh deidre o'connell is the actress's name who i think she's one scene some of like some of the best acting in a movie full of incredible acting yeah it it makes that scene the heaviest scene in the movie Mm -hmm. like heavier than it already is so it's yeah I like how they took something really complex and they distilled it down into an eventual cinematic storyline that that really makes sense because it is very sci-fi and in that sci-fi respect, it feels like it could almost be a series. Oh, yeah. You know? It feels like it could have its own spin-off chapters and stories and deep dives and it because it is a big idea. It's a big idea, but somehow it also manages to work on this small scale that, you know, between two people, it, it's just kind of amazing in that way. A lot of movies are ambitious, but they don't necessarily, like, live up to the ambition that they set out yeah. with. And, and this one really does. It's There's so many ways to enjoy it. It's a, it's a testament, too, to Charlie Kaufman's writing because, I mean, obviously it won the Oscar. But, like, it's like you said, it's such a big idea. Like, this company can wipe your mind but of a specific person and it with a lesser writer that would take two hours to explain but like with a little drip feed that charlie kaufman is able to sort of feed into you and like the the moments where mark ruffalo is is kind of doing the work and you kind of see how it's done you can wrap your head around it almost almost immediately like charlie kaufman and michelle gondry do not underestimate their audience and i think that shows they're like no our audience is smart enough to know that if we show them enough they can fill in the gaps themselves and i think it's really excellently done 
And I think the first teaser for the film that came out before, like, the official trailer is they made a fake Lacuna commercial. No That's way. Really yeah. I, I love when movies do that. And oh, I have I'm to find it. Tom That's Wilkinson so cool. is, like, pitching. Yeah, so Tom Wilkinson is, like, pitching his company. I'm all about, like, yeah, out-of-the-box ad campaigns like Smile this past year when they were placing people around, like, professional sporting events, Smiling or or even Megan. Give me more of that. Yeah. I'm all about it. 100%. I want to dig up that fake promo. Yes. Because I have a weird, like, memory hole memory of that happening. That definitely happened. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like how I can fill in these gaps in your brain. <laughs> you do though. I'm it like jars my memory, and I'm like, oh yeah, all the Jägermeister I drank in 2004 is probably what I did. Yeah, I didn't need Lacuna. I just had a lot right. of gold shower that year. <laughs> True story. Before we continue with our episode, here's a word from our sponsor. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is podcasting made easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. So on his song, so he has one song where he actually sings on the soundtrack. It's called Strings That Tie to You. Um, so he's playing, uh, he, I mean, he can play most of the in, um, instruments, but he plays with uh, Jim Kettner, who I believe is a really famous like session drummer, and Ben Montench, who is his good buddy, but is probably best known for playing piano in and keyboards in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Wow. Whoa. Yeah, so a pretty, pretty uh, stacked lineup of people to play this yeah, like two and, and a half minute song with John. <laughs> that's not even like, list- yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and Benmont is at Largo all the time. Actually, um, after one of my uh, first dates with my wife, we went to go eat after the show, and we were at the sushi restaurant. Benmont was sitting um, with a, with a date. It was like around Valentine's Day. Aww. And that's I remember perfect. like being like, "Oh, that's Benmont Tench, and he's in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and he plays. Uh, I think he plays on all the Paul Westerberg studio albums." And I was like, just kind of like nerding out and we weren't even like sitting like on the same side of the restaurant <laughs> and then after he finishes after he finishes he gets up and he just kind of tips his hat to me and then walks out. that's such an that's such an la like uh, specific buff story like a sushi restaurant where tom petty's pianist is like any any other place in the world not a not a chance but if, especially because this was after you went to the largo show you said yeah yeah, after the Largo, uh, at a sushi restaurant, he's bound to see at least one person that knows who he is, and that's so cool. <laughs> what a city. Yeah, just know that if you're out at a restaurant in L.A. post-show, Ryan is talking about you. <laughs> and, and he will find you. 
Or if it's my birthday, then my wife will find Camille Nanjiani. Oh. <laughs> also a true story. And then Nicole will ruin the whole thing by like really making it way too obvious that it, we're looking at him. <laughs> so at one point in the movie, uh, when things go awry, Clementine tells Joel, hide me in your humiliation. Uh-huh. And I am going to tell you a humiliating story about myself. Oh, here we go. Which also illustrates how much I love this movie. So I saw this, you know, the first chance I had. I went with uh, a friend of mine who uh, I had fallen head over heels for. So it was kind of the first sort of... I mean, like, I had dated girls and stuff before, but it was, like, the first time where, like, I felt like we connected on, like, this different level where, like, we had, we both liked music. We, like, you know, we had very different tastes, but, like, we somehow, um, like, understood, like, each other's sensibilities. Like, I would give her a book that she had never heard of and she would love it, and then she would give me a book and, you know, things like that. Movies, music is all, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, she's like, oh, I kind of like jazz and like bossa nova music. And I'd be like, oh, you should like listen to this Kings of Convenience record and and so on and so forth. So um, we really got, we were both really excited about watching this movie. That was probably my idea because all the people involved. And, you know, we both ended up loving the film. And I was, and I thought we were getting really close to like, all right, this is going to happen. And then I saw her the next week, and she goes, oh, I saw it again. And I took the guy that I'm dating to see it because I thought it was so good. Oh, Oh, God, it hurts so bad. Oh, no. That's brutal, dude. Oh, it's so terrible. (laughs) So the fact that that happened to me, and I still love this movie, and I still love the soundtrack, (laughs) it's a real testament, right? It really is. To how amazing this is. The, the the real kicker is um so she uh ended up moving um and she uh you know she's married with kids and stuff now and we're we're still friends and she um just like celebrated her wedding anniversary and she's like I met my husband when we were at law school um cuz we were we both joined like a Shins cover band in law school and like, I was like oh, so I'm res- <laughs> So she would have never, yeah. So she might have still met her husband, but she would have not met her husband that way if she had never met me. Well, she owes you a lot, huh? (laughs) (laughs) That is wild. You get a fruit basket or something, like just a nice (laughs) edible arrangement. I don't know. So that is my uh, that is my humiliating story related to this movie. I'm so glad that it didn't taint your opinion of it. I think that is totally a testament to the strength of this um, this piece of cinema. I would never watch it again. No. Like, no. <laughs> Bye. That leads me to the final question for today. Is there a movie or an album or something that, you know, you had to take a break from because of some sort of humiliating experience Ooh. mine's kind of similar um it's not let me double check i have the right movie yeah for sure that's the right movie so mine is kind of similar not 
<laughs> not as bad as yours. Mine was just the classic, went to a movie in high school, saw the movie, um, totally misread the situation, went for a kiss, went in for a kiss after the movie and was totally dodged. The classic. Um, it was Eagle Eye. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> With Shia LaBeouf? <laughs> Real, yes. real romantic I was. Oh wow! Well, I don't right, yeah. Shia LaBeouf movies. I think that's it's just that's an automatic curse. You're not. Yeah, that, out that. A hindsight twenty twenty for sure. But first date, dinner in a movie, thought it went great, got totally swerved at the end. Thanks, Shia. <laughs> so, can you go back and watch Eagle Eye or? I mean, I could. Just Do I for want it? to? No. <laughs> I think I have. I think I watched it once again in college. And, like, it's it's all about that first rewatch. You got to really take that on the chin. And then once you can get through that first wave and settle in, then you're fine. Um, yeah, that's fair. Mine was horrible at the time, but it's okay now. Um I saw Black Swan in theaters with my dad. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Yeah, that was a very uncomfortable situation. (laughs) Um, Very uncomfortable, and it made me not want to watch the movie for a few years after. I can watch it now, fine. Um, But that is not something an 18-year-old should probably see (laughs) with their dad. Was it just, was it playing at the right time? I like, think what was the- my dad and I both love Natalie Portman. Like, think she's incredible. And this was her big Oscar bait movie. Um, and I was home, I think, from college when we went and saw it um, on a break. And it was like he was trying to do something nice and, like, let's have some father-daughter time and you know we'll get dinner and we'll go see a movie and it was all very very nice but it was just uh not great at the time (laughs) what did you say to each other afterwards was there like an exchange of oh absolutely not family trauma at its best we put it all away and never talked about it ever again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Have you talked about it to this day? Like, have you said anything to your dad? Hey, remember that time, dad, we went to see Black Swan? It was really weird. No, no. He does a really good job of only focusing on the good things. So we've never talked about it. But like, we both agreed afterwards that it was a phenomenal movie and that Natalie Portman was otherworldly good in it. So we just danced around the very, very obvious <laughs> Uh, black swan in the room <laughs> nice I'll, I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a part two and piggyback off of Lacey too with a parental embarrassment story too um, my family has a tradition of watching a movie every Christmas Eve and we usually would, would just go to the lo- the premiere video at our town and just rent whatever is popular and watch it so this movie came out in uh, 2004 which means it would have been like 2005 probably Christmas Eve so I would have been 14. And so I was a 14 year old on cozying up on Christmas Eve with my 17 uh, year old sister and our parents uh, watching Closer. <gasps> oh, no. no. That's so much worse. 
somehow. It's it wouldn't have been so bad if it wasn't Christmas Eve. Everything was nice. The lights were up. The 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 room lights were down. The Christmas lights were up. We turned on this really critically acclaimed movie with a bunch of movie stars we all knew. You know, Julia Roberts, Jude Law. We my sister and I have talked about it since. Laughed our asses off about it. Never once brought it up to her. <laughs> didn't bring you guys closer. <laughs> Parents, no. Come on. Come on. That is Sorry. right there. Wow, this, this has been like a weird therapy session, I feel like. Yeah. It's a Valentine's Day episode. Yeah. Let's get some catharsis out. Yeah. I can't talk that. I don't have anything. I don't have anything that good. And now, it, see, there is something... It'll come up in a bonus episode, I'm sure, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Now it makes it seem like I'm all cool, like I've never been embarrassed in a movie. <laughs> I do the yeah. embarrassing. Like I've made a lot of really embarrassing mixtapes, and then I had to take like a break from the things on those mixtapes. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you do the burn CD with the Sharpie on the outside of it? Hell yeah, the yeah. burn CD. Sometimes yep. if you wanted to get really crazy, you make like a whole custom label if you're really into someone. Mm. Yeah, like this person. No, he doesn't get a sharpie. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make a label. I actually did have like a label maker. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> there we go. We got there. It like made stickers, and you could like kind of like design them. They always had this weird like gradient or whatever. Because <laughs> it's like only like two modes that you could really graphic design in. Graphic design was really my passion. Um, Do you? Can you remember a, a go-to song or artist that you would, if you were recording someone, would throw in the <laughs> So embarrassing. I remember throwing on, like, a lot of Ben Folds. Oh, yeah. 100%. I'm, yeah. You know, because all Ben Folds songs are, like, they're just, like, they're kind of embarrassing. They're just, like, confessional and dramatic and, like, piano pounding. It's just, like, yeah, if you want to really tell somebody, let's throw on some Ben Folds. <laughs> ben Folds is the kind of, it was the kind of music that, like, as an adult, you can appreciate it for its musicality and the in- instruments, and you. But like as a teenager, you're like, I listen to this because I'm smart. <laughs> like, yeah, one hundred percent. That's what it was. It was like, well, I'm sophisticated. Like, yeah, obviously, it was, it was thoughtful. Yeah, I'm sure there's much more that we could unpeel of this like terrible onion of me sending people music, but. It's going to take more memory jog from Ryan. Ryan will have to say something. Then I'll have to be like, oh, yeah, I remember. It's you don't really want to tell long. the DC Talk story? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, DC Talk is something I just never. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not something you're going to go back to anyways. But <laughs> yeah, I don't miss that. That's we're fine. I don't ever need to listen to like Christian contemporary rock. So <laughs> whatever was foisted upon me during that particular relationship. Um. Ryan is referencing the fact that I once broke up with someone because they took me to a DC Talk concert. If you don't know who DC Talk is, that's okay. Um, I think it stands for Decent Christian Talk. And they were, yeah, I know. I know. It was at UC Irvine. I know. Gets worse. Um, (laughs) Hey, I went there. It was basically like an alternative band, but like set up around the idea of like praise and worship. And, like, we're dating. This is, like, the last thing that you want to be doing. When you're courting somebody. Yeah, it's just not, it's not what you want. I mean, I remember at a very particular juncture, it was like, stand up. We're praising. We're worshiping now. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. Everyone's trying to be Reliant K out here, and you just can't match it. 
Yeah, I, I I think you told me that story when we first started working together. I, for some reason, there was this DC talk thread going around the office. I think <laughs> you know it has to. It's got to culminate with you bringing them on the show, right? Uh, hard pass. <laughs> hard no. <laughs> I don't think that they would. I don't think that they would accept that invitation. Just bring them on. We curse too much on the show. I would have too many things to get off my chest, quite honestly. I'd be like, what movies did you guys score? Nah, I'm okay. <laughs> They'd be like, can we talk about the Left Behind series with Kirk Cameron? That's, we really want to talk about those soundtracks. Oof. Shouts out to my mom who read like all of those books when they came out. Yikes. They those books had those books had Middle America moms in a in a death grip. Joke old. No, I know. They were, I feel like they were in like grocery stores. Oh, oh for sure. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Grocery store checkouts next to People Magazine, Walmart, like everywhere. Wait, if we're talking Probably about still- books a little bit, can I oh, no. <laughs> recommend a book that is like similar vibes to Eternal Sunshine? Sure. Um, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. Um, mm-hmm. If you are a reader and you like, the idea the ideas behind eternal sunshine of the spotless mind i think you'll really enjoy this book um josh you want to talk about it a little bit yeah i mean real quick it's 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 very much about um uh, finding the your one true soulmate it's it's kind of multiversal i don't want to give anything away but it's about finding your one true soulmate in a sea of potential soulmates if i could say that um um, we're right next to the laundry room so as the day picks up people gotta haul everything in and um uh, yeah i don't want to give it anyway because it's if you're into it check out if you're a reader check out the synopsis if you think you'll like it you would definitely will it's also currently in production to be an apple tv uh, miniseries so nice. if you want to read it before the show comes out highly recommend it this is a great tip you guys came with recos <laughs> yeah Read the book before it becomes a series, and you can be really cool. At, you can. Uh, t- you can have you read yeah. the book? You can be snobby to all your friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. I knew about the book before this came out. <laughs> exactly. All thanks to Soundtrack Your Day Life. Day one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, uh, Josh and Lacey, for coming on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Thank you for thanks letting for us, us come on and talk about this wonderful film. Yeah, I'm... Uh, this has been in the works for a while, so I'm glad that we finally got to do it. Um, so where can people find you on the internet? Uh, we're uh, at Cinephile Attack on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, from those, you'll be able to find Lacey and I's personal Twitter and Instagram if you want to follow us as well. But definitely check out at Cinephile Attack. We're very active. We like to chat movies with everyone and anyone. We'll have a lot of polls running. Um, if you're still in a romantic mood after today's episode, I believe we just released our Twilight episode. Yeah, baby. So if you want to go check that out, <laughs> here's argue about Twilight. New uh, Moon's yeah, got a great a... soundtrack. It sure does. It sure does. Yeah. And Let's very cover that. shortly after, speaking of soundtracks, I'm also, uh, I believe this is coming out the same day. Um, speaking of soundtracks, we're also after Twilight releasing our Space Jam episode with IMO, the best soundtrack of all time. <laughs> of all time, he says. Of all time. I don't take it back. But yeah, check us out on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at Cinephile Attack. 
And you can find us at Soundtrack underscore your on Twitter and Soundtrack Cast on Instagram. And Soundtrack Your Life on Patreon if you want to become a member of our Patreon and force Nicole and I to go to a Sugar Ray concert. <laughs> do it. I'll do it. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.